Hello, and welcome to episode four of The A-List, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. Today, I talked to David Angelo, founder and chairman of David and Goliath, an advertising agency in Los Angeles. This is my first in-person interview, uh, and it was really fun. We talked about David's time as a teamster in uh, San Francisco. We talk about uh, living on Roosevelt Island in New York City. We talk about working with the original Peggy Olson. And we talk about taking Kia from an unknown car company to the New York Auto Show. I think you're really going to like it. But first, the A-List is brought to you by Ad House Advertising School. Advertising Age called Ad House New York's newest, smallest, and arguably hippest ad school. Their philosophy? An ad class is only as relevant as the professional who teaches it. Ad House classes are taught by the best in the biz in the agencies where they work. You get 10 weeks of classes for just 600 bucks. To apply, go to adhousenyc.com. And for the latest news, follow AdHouseNYC on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at Mongo Industries. And check out DeMassimo Goldstein at DigoBrands.com. The A-List is recorded at Gramercy Post in New York City. And now, my interview with David Angelo. So this is, uh, you're the first in-house A-lister to come down to the studio uh, here in uh, Gramercy. All right. Uh, what, what do you think? Pretty, I, I love it. Sweet. I love it. I love it. I love the. I love the space here. I love being in a booth next to a piano. Yeah. Uh, love the fact that you're sitting across from me, man, because I have a lot of respect for who you are. So, oh. So here we go. Thanks, man. David Angelo. Yeah. So we we know each other from back in the 20th century, the 1900s, yeah, before dinosaurs, before dinosaurs, before the internet, before Facebook, before we all had phones. We would take the bus out to what island was Ward that? Island. Ward's Island yeah. and, and play softball. Yeah. And, and, you, and what you team were, were you playing on? Kirshenbaum. Kirsh- yeah. I was on KMB, the Kirshenbaum right. team, the KMB team. Yeah. We back, took the yellow yeah. bus, right? We took the yellow bus it from wasn't right the short outside bus, your office. the longer bus, yeah. At on, Saatchi. Yeah. Uh, so I'd have to walk over there. And then we'd all end up on the Upper East Side drinking beer. Mingles. Uh, Mingles, is that what it's called? Yeah, it was, uh, I was thinking I about that the other still day. There. It's crazy, man. That was like 25 years ago. Yeah. I mean, to, to even say it was 25 years ago just That's sounds That's crazy, like, right? Yeah, it was crazy, man. It was before before we had texting, before we had Absolutely. phones. I mean, we were just starting to— If you didn't know where someone was, you, yeah, you couldn't find them. You were screwed. Uh, and yeah. you would leave a message on their answering machine. Totally. Which, which, which now you don't leave messages. And right. then you could call your answering machine to see if somebody called. Yeah. But then you'd have to go to a pay phone to do that. So Yeah. That was which crazy. Which don't exist either now. Yeah. But now we have these internet things on the street. Anyway, we're, we sound like two old men talking yeah, yeah, about yeah. the past. Because we are. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, so that was like ninety five. I remember, something. man. I remember a lot has changed since then. Yeah, you were a young man, but you were at Cliff Freeman, and yeah. I remember thinking, "Wow, that guy's made it." I'm at KMB. Um, what was that? What, what did you think of of working at Cliff Freeman? What was that like for you? Um, I felt like um, I had found uh, home for the most part mm-hmm. because when I first uh, walked off the elevator. 
on the was it seventh or eighth floor? I don't remember. I think it was the seventh. I've only went there once to interview. (laughs) It's been a while. It's been twenty years. But when I first walked off the elevator and saw these uh, and looked into the lobby and saw these awards on the floor, yeah, that were just like you know around the edge of the you know of the wall that led all the way to this open space, and when I walked into this open space, uh, it was pretty amazing. There's like couches and chairs and TVs and it just looked like it looked like um, a cleaner version of my friend's garage right? right where it's just everything just looked like it was purposely you know sort of laid out and and then there were coffee or what were those cookie jars uh, in these uh, yeah um, and, cl- of, and radios right? and radios and yeah. all that stuff and it just felt like it had so much character and then and when I met the creatives, uh, you know, who was the first person you met at Cliff Freeman? Um, Bruce Hurwitt mm-hmm. and um, Jeff Watsman, right? Uh, and then uh, Cliff, of course. Cliff yeah. brought me into his office, and I mean, going into Cliff's office is like walking into a museum, right? I mean, yeah. it's all this amazing uh, stuff in there, from radios to baseballs to notes from you know who knows, but uh, yeah. Uh, I just felt like I was in a place that where where I could really be me, and and knowing that I was surrounded by like-minded people who, for the most part, were swinging for the fences. Yeah. And to work for somebody like Cliff Freeman, who I consider you know one of my greatest mentors, um, it was just an absolute pleasure just to learn from him, and 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 I worked side by side with him, which was pr- pretty amazing, you mm-hmm. know, to be able to to actually concept with him, go to shoots with him. Uh, and to this day, I still quote him from time to time. There's this one, uh, there's this one thing that he used to say was, um, if you don't get it, you ain't got it. And if you ain't got it, you're fucked. And so I use that all the time. I tell all my creatives, I say, guys, don't overthink this thing. Sometimes I imitate Cliff. Yeah. Don't overthink this thing. Don't overthink it. <laughs> yeah. And um, I'll just tell them, you know, I have these little Cliffisms. Like another one is um, if you're having uh, a hard time getting um, old people to do their lines, well, then give them some food and have them chew and talk at the same time. And I thought that was brilliant. Oh you know? my god! If you could just imagine that, or scream, have them scream their line, you know, at the top of their lungs. Yeah. And so, like, you, where's the beef? Yeah, exactly. And By so, the way, he he wrote that. Yeah, uh, he wrote a lot that. of a lot of kids that are listening are probably like, "Who is this Cliff Freeman?" Yeah. Don't fast forward. This is the best part. Yeah. Uh, he wrote, "Where's the beef?" Uh, he wrote among many lines. Uh, sometimes you feel like a nut. You know, York peppermint patty. Uh, yeah. Get the sensation. Uh, Pizza, pizza. I mean, yeah. it, it, the list goes on. Yeah. So this this past uh, year or last year, I had the pleasure of of freelancing Cliff, which was uh, wow. I you know I hadn't talked to him in like five or six years, and I thought it'd be really great to bring him you know bring him to the agency and uh, yeah and, and just work with him. And, and he's uh, in his seventies now. Yeah, and uh, it was pretty wild because he he didn't have a computer at home. Well, he did, but it wasn't the most updated computer, so right. I gave him a laptop, and uh, we kind of worked together on the phone, or we worked together in person, and uh, just seeing his, uh, he would fax me his scripts, but they weren't typed, they were handwritten. Yeah, and I that's just, how he works. Yeah, exactly, and his and his writing is, is so distinctive, you know, when you see his penmanship and all that, and it yeah. just... It just kind of like, you know, brought me back to that time when I was uh, working with him uh, in the trenches and just reminded me of how, you know, 
great and inspiring he was. I mean, he really was the sort of Willy Wonka of advertising. Yeah. He just had that great, you know, that great personality that uh, he was all about the work, you yeah. know. And uh, I remember uh, being with him at a shoot, and he would just look at me and say, David, I just want to be a copywriter. And I would look at him and go, oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, that's great, but, Cliff, you kind of own the agency. So yeah. He, yeah, you can't be a copywriter. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, you know, I look at those things. Uh, they're very important um, experiences, right? And, yeah. um, and I look at everything. Everything in life happens for a reason, and you meet people for, for a reason, et cetera. And I definitely believe that I met Cliff at the right time in my life, the right time in my career, because it was the last job I had before starting my own agency. Wow. Yeah. And you went off and did that. But before we get to that, I want to get to like, that's where you made it and yeah. you're, you've got that feeling. And, and that's yeah. where most of these stories start, right? Yeah. These, these A-lister stories, you're like, well, he started a Cliff Freeman, but you didn't start a Cliff Freeman. Yeah. Tell, tell me about your early life, where, where you grew up and, and how that was in high school and, and Absolutely. Like um, I grew up in a big family, um, one of seven. I'm a middle child. They call me three up, three down, which is kind of crazy, right? Uh, but uh, we, I grew up in uh, a town called San Leandro, which is right outside of Oakland, California. And so I'm a big Raiders fan. Uh, a lot of people right. know that. Yeah. Diehard Raiders fan. So you're moving to Vegas with them? Very or? depressed about that. It's upsetting. Because, yeah, because it's the second time they've moved, and you know I'm all about like culture and community. So I just, yeah. I'm kind of battling with that right now. But anyway, right. so um, I grew up in this town and my dad was a teamster, uh, a truck driver. Uh, and he was also a Marine and the uh, a very highly decorated Marine who suffered from a severe case of PTSD. Wow. And so uh, that was my first experience dealing with challenges. And uh, uh, Watching him yeah, deal and, with his and, challenges. Yeah, and and did you understand it or did he talk about it or it you were just like, he's just an angry guy? And, no, and, didn't, uh, didn't understand it or talk to him till later on in life. I actually took him on a fishing trip to Alaska where we, where we kind of had a, I was 32 years old and, uh, and I kind of had a, a, a come to Jesus uh, moment. And it was at that time I was on a plane with him and he started to tell me what he experienced there. And I couldn't even. Vietnam. No, Korea. Oh, okay. And, and you're going to see how all of this is connected because, you yeah. know, I believe everything's connected in yeah. life, right? And so, um, you know, growing up, my dad really instilled these values in me. He taught, taught me two very important principles, and that is never uh, uh, forget where you're from mm -hmm. and always give 100% of your heart and soul. I mean, think of those two values in regards to people and brands. It's, it's, it's be authentic, right, and go all in all the time. And so those were the two values that I held on to, you know, uh, so tightly throughout my life. And you know what? Um, we screw up, right? We fall off the curb right. now and then, you know, and sometimes we forget to listen to that voice. Yeah. Um, but I remember um, the times that I listened to those values, uh, I did very well. And the times I didn't, I screwed up. So I got kicked out of high school in uh, my senior year. Uh, everybody asked me, well, what, what did you do? And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let's just say there was a stolen car involved. Okay. All right. And um, a, it's, which is a longer story. Yeah. But um, I got kicked out and I lost my grants uh, to this college I was supposed to go to called the Academy of Art. So you were all set up to go to all the Academy up, of man. Art in San Francisco. Was, yeah, all set up to go to school at the Academy of Art in San Francisco. And I totally screwed up. And, um, 
You know, I, I really let down my family, wow. let down myself, and I went down this rabbit hole of despair that you wouldn't believe. And uh, from there, um, my dad, who's in the Teamsters, he got me a job as a warehouseman, local 853. Yeah. By the way, I saw that there's a door here that has the Teamsters logo on it, and I oh yeah to, yeah I wanted to take a picture of it because it's uh it still holds a you know still is a big part of my life. But yeah. uh, um, I was working the graveyard shift for a place called um, Pacific Crown Distillery, which was. Uh, a big spirit house and you know we would pull orders for local liquor barns and restaurants and and I drove a forklift uh, mm-hmm. drove a pallet jack worked the conveyor lines all that stuff yeah and uh, it was I worked from six at night to, to uh, six in the morning and it was a really tough life I remember getting into fist fights with teamsters I remember uh, you know just going really down this this hole and uh, yeah. at a certain point there was um, a voice that happened, a voice that basically said, this is not you. And uh, I decided to listen to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I basically had two choices. Do I go all in or do I just ignore it? And I, I chose to listen. And it basically told me that if I wanted to realize my creative destiny, that I would have to go back to school uh, and give 100% of my heart and soul. And that was one of the things that, that um, I remember that uh, that tipping point for me because I could have gone down that hole, yeah. that, that rabbit hole even even more, but I didn't. Something yeah. told me to to take this you, this you, chance. You talk. I, I read up on you and read some of your other uh, interviews. You talked about um, Eddie Lopez. I think is yeah. The name. So Eddie, tell me about Eddie Lopez. Your so so. I believe that people show up in your life uh, at the right time, right? And it's really up to you to recognize what their purpose is, etc. And so I remember uh, working the conveyor line on the second floor, and we were loading cases of uh, Stolikania, Wolf Schmidt, all of those uh, familiar brands. And mm-hmm. there was this big, heavy Samoan named Eddie Lopez that uh, he used to he used to be a cop, an Oakland cop, but he got busted for heroin, and he went to jail. And then my dad invited him to be to sing in the in the uh, church choir, and then he introduced me to him, and I said, "Come on with me, I'll get you a job." And so I got him a job, and he was working, um, you know, the conveyor line with me, and he was a pretty big guy, you know, like he was like 280 pounds, like really big Samoan. Mm-hmm. And um, he was the last on the totem pole in regards to seniority. So if if we finished too early, he would get laid off because why would they want to keep another person right. if you're finishing two hours ahead of time? And yeah. So what Eddie said to me, um, this is after you know I had that sort of epiphany, he said, David, why don't you bring your study, your work and your school supplies and all that stuff to the conveyor line and I'll do all the work for you because I can, you know, I can do the work of two people. Wow. And I thought to myself, all right, I felt kind of bad, but he said, you know what? Because if not, we're both going to get, I'm going to get laid off and maybe you'll get laid off because we're finishing too early. Yeah. And so he managed to stretch, you know, everything out. He was, I, I would, you know, in between the pallets when I was drawing layouts on the top of cases, like, you know, this, the, the sort of typical DDB type layouts, like yeah. Volkswagen layouts. Yeah. I remember looking out and seeing him carrying two cases, one in each arm. And he didn't even <sighs> care about, you know, how much work he was doing. Yeah. He just knew that that he was, A, preserving his job, but at the same time helping me. Yeah. And so he was also a Rosicrucianist. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but no. it's, a, um, it's a religion. It's a very philosophical, existential type uh, religion. Yeah. And we would have, during my... Uh, uh, philosophy courses, we would uh, just sit on cases uh, right next to the conveyor belt when it was down, when we were backed up, 
and the two of us would just talk about philosophy. And it was, uh, I really started to learn a lot about uh, Zen and the inner voice and the higher self and all of that during that time, you yeah. know, especially when I really needed it the most. And so um, I eventually um, graduated from college. I quit that job. And what, what college were you going to at that point? The Academy of Art. Oh, yeah. I went okay, back so to the Academy went. of okay. Art. And uh, I remember I first wanted to get into Academy with uh, a focus on illustration. Mm-hmm. But then I saw a couple of buddies of mine that were uh, working on, on Telegraph Avenue selling tie-dye shirts. And they had, like, you know, a degree in illustration. And I thought to myself, I don't want to do that. I need to – Right. I want to make some money. I'm tired of being a starving artist. So it's I got into interesting. advertising. We, we, uh, I talked to Greg Hahn, and yeah. he had a similar experience but with music. Mm. Like he was like, I want to be in music. And he went to art school, and then he saw his teacher, who was a major, like, session musician, was on all these records. Yeah. But he was playing on the street. He just saw him playing on the street. Crazy. And he was like, oh, my God, I, I don't want to do that. I, I want to do something else. And he got into advertising. So it's, I love that. It's, it's kind of— Everybody has a story, yeah. you know, and, and it's always great to hear how other people got into, got yeah. into the field because it's— uh, it's it really is a great field and and I just I remember thumbing through magazines right mm-hmm. when I was a uh, um, second year of college and I remember seeing these ads that I really loved and they were just yeah. very simple ads and I would put them put them up on my wall in um, in my bedroom above my drafting table uh, and what, what ads were they what what, what did you um, Chavis, do you remember any of them Chevis Michelin Chavis Regal yeah Volkswagen yeah and so what happened was. Somebody sent me a postcard that, that read, do what you fear, watch it disappear. And I thought it was the most amazing thing. And I put it on my refrigerator door back when I was living in uh, Alameda. And I was all set to go interview in San Francisco. And I kept thinking about, you know what? I need to challenge myself. I'm too close to home. And so what city scares me the most? And the first thing that came up was New York. Mm-hmm. I thought like, oh, my God, if I go to New York, I don't know anyone there. And all I know about it is that it's just – based on Kojak and Hill Street Blues, that there's so much hard yeah. shit that's going down there. Yeah. That was, was what year? That was 89. So, yeah, it was pretty bad here in 89. It was, it that's was when I bad. started right at after, FIT. Yeah, uh, right after the Hill Street or the, the Central Park Jogger Yeah, uh, incident. There was wilding. That was the thing that, that totally. was going on, wilding. Uh, so groups of kids would just come up and, and rob you in it's, the park. And, and that kind of happened to me, like, later on. I'll get to that later. Okay. But, uh, I um, I've packed up my bags. I had a, a small green bag that just I put whatever I owned in there with a basketball. I brought my ten speed and a sleeping bag, and I moved to of all places Roosevelt Island. Oh my god! Which was crazy because the reason why I did that is because I just wanted to be away from the city so I can look at the city from afar and just take it in before I jumped in all together. Yeah. yeah. And then after eight months of being um just depressed there because there's a hospital there. A VA hospital yeah, where it's all it, uh, men in, in uh, it was, wheelchairs, right? Yeah. Uh, and it, no just legs. What, it, it really was gave me some perspective because, uh, you know, if I thought work was hard, I would just hmm. come home, take the tram across, yeah. come home and see. That was the only way to get there at the time. There right? was no subway that went to And Roosevelt if you missed the tram, you'd have to, like, take a cab, which back then when you're, you know, junior art director, a cab's mm-hmm. like 30 bucks, right? Yeah, yeah. And so it got kind of depressing, and then I ended up moving back into the city. And uh, anyway, I took a job at DDB. That was my first job. And right. what, what happened was when I walked through the doors uh, on the, uh, I keep forgetting, the seventh or eighth floor, um, 
as soon as the doors opened, all of the ads that I had up in my room were pinned up on this wall. Oh my God. And you didn't know at I that didn't know. time. I didn't know. When you were interviewing there, you I had didn't no know. idea. And it, and it was the craziest thing because what happened was I sent my portfolio to like McCann, to Gray, yeah. to, you know, all of the sort of the big usual, agencies. Yeah, the usual uh, sort of suspects. And um, what happened was um, McCann basically said, you know, my portfolio sucked. And, right. and I said, oh, well, kind of bummed. Yeah. And then DDB called me up, Jack Mariucci, who was the ECD okay. at the time. He's now over at SVA, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He called me and he said, I love your book. And, yeah. you, went, and you went to my college. <laughs> and nobody here even believes me that I went to this college called the Academy of Art. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, I'd love for you to come out here and work for us. Yeah. And so he basically kind of hired me over the phone. I knew that I had the wow. job. So you never had seen those. You no, never had seen ne- that never building. had seen it. And then so when I... When the doors opened, you know, on the seventh floor, there's all the ads are right there. And I just thought to myself, but of course. Yeah. Of course I was. Of course I pulled those ads off my, out of the magazine and hung them on my wall. Yeah. And then as I looked around and I saw all of these amazing characters there, there was a guy with no hands, a guy named Gary Rosansky, this art director. Yeah. You know, and then there was a... An art director with no hands. Yeah, which and was at the time, amazing. At the time, your hands were very important because you were basically cutting, cutting ruby lith and <clears throat> exacto uh, knives. Yeah, you know, and uh, and I. It was a hands-on. At, you know. yeah, and and he would laugh at that, by the way. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gary is uh, one of the most inspiring people for me because. During that time when what I didn't was his re- name again? Gary. Gary Rosansky. Rosansky. And during that time when I didn't really know anyone. You know, I was this Californian who was in this New York environment. I was following that postcard yeah. with my heart and soul. And yeah. here was this guy walking around who had no hands and, and an exacto knife sticking out of his mouth, <laughs> cussing, swearing, smoking a cigarette, you know, <sighs> drinking coffee. And when I saw him, you know, I mean, he gave me the strength to carry on every day because I looked at what he what he was going through and yeah. the fact that he could still hold his head up high and crack a joke and yeah. and make fun of, of things and, and and still do great work and so he played a very important role in my in my life there because you know moving to a big city isn't the easiest thing in the world to do especially when you don't know anybody and yeah. and and again it's like the real world right you're all of a sudden I went from being a teamster to being being in advertising on right. Madison Avenue of all places. Yeah. And what was the first account that you worked on there? What, what were the... First account um, that I worked on, I mean, I when you, I first... You got lucky and, and got to get an assignment uh, that really paid off for you, right? Um, you, but, it, but before that. It took a while. Yeah. It took a while. I mean, uh, when I first um, started working there, I basically, the first couple months, I would just go around <laughs> to all of the veterans uh like the phyllis robinson and right. the uh um she was the she's the pe- peggy yeah, peggy yeah, or yeah, peggy original yeah. mad woman yeah. and i would sit in her office and just talk about about bill burnback and what it was like back in the day and she worked directly for him yeah and it, for me it was so important you know to just sit down and talk to people who, you know, uh, were part of the history of the place. Yeah. And I had so much respect for that. It's one of the things that I, I'm going to talk about later of what, of what today's generation is missing. But uh, yeah. I've, uh, I just sat in their offices for the longest time, Tony Romeo and, and Charlie Piccarillo and all of these 
great people, yeah. you know, and I just would just I hear. hope everybody is Googling these names and, and, <laughs> and figuring it out because it's very important. Yeah, and, and I would just sit in their office and just listen to the stories, and uh, they were amazing stories. Judy Protus was uh, back then. She was still tinkering, still, uh, you know, uh, concepting. And it was so amazing back then because, for me, I was still kind of like a kid in a candy store because it took me a long time to graduate from, from college. And by the time I got to New York, I was like 28. But I, was, I just felt like so privileged and so humble to sort of be at the place that Bill Burnbeck built. And, and so I, it was one of the greatest experiences for me. And I, I, remember, um, I remember one of the best lessons I ever learned was from a, a creative director named Ron Louie, who basically uh, I was – it was my second month in advertising. I was holding on to this print ad that I probably would never put in my book, but I felt so like, you know, passionate about this typeface, and the client didn't want this typeface, and I basically told Caslon five forty, yeah, yeah, something like that. But I told the <laughs> I told the account person, I said, get out of my office, I'm going to leave, and I and I basically took off for the day, and I hid the mechanicals underneath my couch, and, <laughs> and when I and when I came back, uh, Ron Louie, who's this really awesome creative director, very soft-spoken creative director. Um, he said, David, I just want to talk to you about something. You can't just like, you can't just like uh, leave the agency just because uh, the client wants you to change a typeface. And I go, Ron, but they just don't understand. They're, they're, they want me to use the logo typeface inside another typeface, and it just goes against everything. Yeah, they wanted you to mix typefaces. Yeah, that yeah, is yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think you were right for leaving. Yeah, and so um, he basically said, he knew that I was a big baseball fan. Uh -huh. And he looked at me and said, David, he goes, um, who's the best uh, baseball player of all time? And I said, lifetime batting average? Because I'm a, I'm a stat guy. You yeah, know yeah, right? yeah. And, and he goes, uh, yeah. And I said, Ty Cobb, I think he was 366. Yeah. And he goes, 366? He was, he was the best, right? And I said, yeah, he was the best. And he goes, 366. So he was 634 short of being perfect, and yet he was still the best. <laughs> and I looked at him, and all of a sudden it clicked. Yeah. And he said, pick your battles. Yeah. And from that point on, I just realized that, you know, and if I – of course, I'm going to give 100% of my heart and soul, but you know what? There's going to be some things that I'm going to fight for and some things I'm not, right, you know? And, right, right. And, and you should always, always give your best, but you should also know at the end of the day, you know, some things are going to be worth fighting for, you know, and some things uh, you, you just got to save your energy because if not, you're going to die of a heart attack in this yeah. business. Yeah. Right? What, what, so what, what do you fight for? What are the things that you... That you do sort of say like, okay, I'm going to stop the presses and you know, I, sit down and I, talk um, about it. I look when at, you're that age. Yeah, when you're that age, um, you fight for what you believe is right. Right. And, and one of the one of the core values at our agency is serve the brand; the rest will follow. And it's the whole idea of doing it for the brand and not for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I believe that there that there's a lot of you know. Uh, there are a lot of examples out there where you can see people creating work for themselves. Right. Right. And yeah. and we all we've all done it because we're trying to make a career and, and all that. But I believe you got to go back to just doing the right thing. You know, do the brand right. Right. Is it right for the brand? If it's not, then why are you even bothering? Right. You know, and that that 
that hit me early on. It took me a while to really sort of start to listen to that voice. Mm -hmm. But the more that I kept doing it and the more I believed in it, the more it became of my, it became part of everything that I did. And, and so um, you asked uh, what was one of the big campaigns. I mean, I, yeah. I had to basically strike out a bunch of times uh, until uh, we hit gold with uh, New York Lotto. And hey, you never know. Hey, you never know. And it was uh, my partner, Paul Spencer, and I, we were kind of working late at night, smoking cigarettes in his office. and uh, You could smoke indoors at yeah, that right? point. Yeah, right? <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. And I remember the two of us were, were on a train going up uh, to Albany, right? And uh, we were talking about... Um, to to present to present the and campaign you had, idea. So you had that you had that campaign idea. Yeah, in in the bag. Okay. In the bag, and yeah. and we, you know everybody at the agency loved it, and and we were on our way to present. And I'll never forget that when we went to meet with the client, um, Connie Laverty, who was the, who was the CMO at the time for the New York Lottery. Which, by the way, I got a whole other story about her because I'm I'm still working with her. By the oh, way, oh wow, which is crazy. That's one of the things that you that you realize when you're older is that like everyone you meet along the way, that you think maybe ah you know this is just my my client or this is just somebody who's working for me yeah. or they could become somebody else Absolutely. later on. I Absolutely. always say to the young people. Uh, freelance me later when you're when you're a big shot and yeah. I'm the old guy like calling you on my on my flip phone. It's gonna happen. Please right? please freelance me. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so I remember when we were um, we were in the conference room presenting to the lottery and and I was again I was like I think it was my first year in advertising and we Paul and I had bought these shirts had printed hey you never know on them mm -hmm. right and i remember when, when i'm walking i was walking over to um, put the boards against the wall you mm -hmm. know and one of the boards slipped out it was the tagline board and it oh. fell on the floor <laughs> and i remember the client seeing it and she'd mouthed the words and then all of a sudden looked up at me and it was the biggest smile it was kind of a, it was a smile with her eyes that i'll yeah. never forget yeah and she just looked at me and said, "Hey, you never know." Whispered that, and um, and that w that's the line itself is you know when you think about that, it's like it gives you permission to believe in possibilities, mm -hmm. right? You, mm -hmm. you think about when when the chips are down or you're up against challenges, that line just gives you that permission to think otherwise, and mm -hmm. it's one of those lines that you know that that you're uncle from you know from queens or or whatever would tell you you know yeah. like if you uh talk to him about this girl who wasn't really interested in you and he would simply say hey you never know you yeah know? and so that was it was a very human uh facing type line and i would say that was one of the biggest moments of my career because it it really all of a sudden just set me off on this trajectory yeah that uh each time I, from that point on, I would just look at how can I challenge myself? What's the next thing that I can do? What's the next sort of uh, level that I can go to? And sure enough, we, we, we um, uh, Paul had connected with somebody over the Clinton campaign, uh, uh, camp, and we then were asked to work on the uh, Clinton-Gore campaign in 92. Wow. And that was an amazing experience because one of the things I've always wanted to do at the time was to work on a person that's a brand. Mm -hmm. And so I remember um, we went out to uh, Little Rock and we were uh, walking uh, with 
Bill on the railroad tracks and D.D. Myers and 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 here I am just like this kid from California who's just fresh in the business and um, I was so excited to be there, so excited to be part of this. Yeah. And I remember at a point where I just kept asking myself, how did I get here? Why am I here? Yeah. And and that voice would always say, keep going. Like, don't don't sit there and wonder and worry yeah. about it. You're or, not done yet. Yeah, you're not done yet. Yeah. And, yeah. and I remember um, I was with the Time uh, magazine reporter or Newsweek reporter. And the cameraman, and we were on the tracks of railroad tracks in, in Arkansas, Hope, Arkansas. And they were going to take a shot of Bill, uh, you know, down the tracks, you know, that great sort of yeah. uh, person in the foreground, tracks in the back. Yeah. And I was the art director. And I yeah. told him to roll up his sleeves and uh, shoot this way. And, yeah. and, you know, and I, to whether he listened to me or not, it, it didn't matter. But the fact that I was right there in that moment, to me, just felt like, Wow, this is pretty awesome and, and a far cry from driving my forklift. No, that is the coolest thing. Yeah, because at, at that point, you got to say, like, okay, so what the hell is going on here? Yeah. You know, and so that happened. And then uh, from there, I went over to Shite Day to work. Uh, I've always wanted to work with Lee Clow. Mm -hmm. And my partner at the time was Ty Montague. Uh, right. And Who we, we, uh, he was the last interview I did. Yeah. And, yeah. and great guy. And we, also dropped out of high school. Exactly. Maybe and that's the key. And everything. comes from a blue collar upbringing too. Yeah. 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 And so the two of us were, were running, um, Reebok and it was a mess for the Is most this part. Reebok let you be you sort of a, uh, it was right after that. It right was after plan, that. Right, uh, right after planet Reebok, which yeah. we kind of inherited and we're like, okay, what do we do with this thing? Right. And but, you were in the New York office. New York Shia, office. Yeah. Which and, was always sort of the the, the ugly stepchild of, exactly. of, uh, of the show. But I met so many awesome people there because they were all starting their career, like Eric Silver. Eric Silver was there. Todd Grant, Charles Hall, Kathy Delaney, yeah. Rob Slosberg, yeah. Frank, uh, uh, Tommy Sherma, Hank Perlman. Wow. Ron Rosen. I mean, the list just goes on. Dave Cook. I mean, there were so many amazing people. And we were like this, it was like this 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 sort of uh, fraternity stuck on the 16th floor that which were right across from Amirati. Yeah. But we were all a bunch of young kids, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you were downtown or 16th, you were right, right by the coffee shop. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it, and I was there for a short period of time. I, I think that's one of the yeah, I, that's the only place in advertising where I got fired and I was totally cool with it cuz I was uh you know, we had lost the 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 Reebok account and uh and that's when I went out uh, west to uh, work at Team One uh, on Lexus. And oh, okay. I work with Andy Spade. Yeah. The two yeah. of us. Uh, yeah. And this is before Kate Spade became Kate Spade. Yeah. And this is after he was at Kirschbaum. Yeah. He with came Bill. out. Yeah. And, I, and I always liked his work. You know, I always loved the work you guys did over there. And so Andy and I uh, would walk around uh, the streets of Santa Monica going to. Uh, Garage stores uh, and 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 uh, garage sales with Katie looking for handbag designs and stuff like that. And I didn't think oh, anything right. of it. With I just Katie. thought, like, yeah, and I didn't think anything of it. I just thought, okay, Andy and Katie. She looks, really likes bags. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, boom, you know, and look what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that uh, got hit by the earthquake in '92, and I came back uh, here in '93 uh, to work for Cliff, and then and then. In so the, did the earthquake make you move? Were you yeah, like, it was, you it were was like, a pretty, uh, it was a pretty crazy experience. Yeah. I don't know if you. I remember know. watching it on TV because the World Series was happening, right? No, was that, that was the San Francisco oh, that was later. one. Okay. But, uh, and that was in 89 after yeah. I left. But uh, right. 
it it kind of uh, shook me up a little bit, and yeah. I and plus I just needed to go back to New York because I missed it so much. It's, yeah, New York New York is like the mother that's not very good looking, but she makes great food, <laughs> you know, and you just can't help but get enough of her and and. Every time I come back here, I always feel like I'm home. And so people ask me, they go, are you from New York? And I go, no, but I I really believe that my life really was created here because I've met so many great people and I have so many great experiences from New York. And it is one of those places. And I think a lot of, we've talked about this before on the show, is that a a lot of what makes New York great is that you are forced to walk around through these different, you can walk through Koreatown yeah, and totally. see this crazy thing from the other side from of the world. One, exactly, one street uh, to the next. And then you can hear African music as you're passing by some guy with a with a radio on. And then you can, like, it's just so many things happening that are, that are crossing paths that I think a lot of other cities don't have because you're either in your car or you are only in your one neighborhood. Or, yeah. You know. Um, I love it. I, I love it. I do think it's special. Everywhere I go, I mean, I still... I still go to Raul's every time I'm here. Yeah, you, you gotta know? go to Raul's. And remember, uh, remember Nick and Eddie's? Yeah. Yeah, remember that was a cool place to yeah. go to. Yeah. But uh Milady's is gone. Yeah. And um, Red Bench is gone. I used Red to go Bench there. Is that gone. was my McGovern's is gone. Uh, uh, all those places. Great places. Um great places. Uh so is New York still the place? Do you think do you think uh what are there are there other – like should uh, somebody listening to this right now yeah. who's in uh, Des Moines or, or Chicago or uh, Miami, should they move to New York or what, what think, do you think? I think it, it all depends on on what drives you. And, and this is one of the things that I talk a lot about when people ask me, what would you tell somebody who's just getting into the business? And uh, the first thing I would say is first and foremost, have a clear idea of who you are and what you stand for. Yeah, just like if you're working on a brand because you are a brand mm-hmm. as a person, have that clear idea of what you stand for, right? And so you go, I look at myself and I go, I'm David. I'm all about challenges. I grew up in a, you know, kind of a rough and tumble type uh, neighborhood. And so that's what, that's my makeup, you know? Mm-hmm. And when you understand who you are and what you stand for, then you ask yourself, okay, what type of place shares the same type of values that I do, right? Mm-hmm. And instead of just trying to go work for whatever shop that's winning all the awards, chase your mentor, right? Chase One your mentor. Person. One person. Yeah. Find that person and and work your ass off for that person. Learn as much as you can, you know? Don't think about, you know, don't think about producing all this work because all that's going to come, hmm. right? So lead with that. Don't think about the money. Don't think about the awards. Just go all in with that mentor and learn yeah. as much as you can from them. And then what's going to happen after a couple of years, you're going to turn around and you're going to look at all of this work that you've created behind you. Yeah. It's not this thing that's going to be driving you every day and, and making you go from jump from one shop to the next. Yeah. You're really going to be focused because you're surrounding yourself with like-minded people, people that you actually care about, that inspire you, that share the same values. Because when you do that, you know what happens, man? You end up living your truth. And when you live your truth, you never work a day in your life because you're doing what you love with people that you love. And that to me is what I would recommend to any kid out there. It's what I talk about at the agency all the time is that you got to, there there really is no division between work and life. If it Mm -hmm. is, you shouldn't be in this business, right? right? Because it means you're not doing what you love. But if you do what you love, then there's no distance between the house and the job. Yeah. Because you're just being who you are. You're living your brand, living your truth 24-7. So if you are a thinker or if you 
uh, aspire to do brave things, well, then that should carry on after you leave the office. Mm. And so I remember hearing from somebody once who said, no no talk about work once once we get to the bar. And I looked at him, I go, what else do we have to talk about? But yeah. but that means you're not you, you don't love what you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Because yeah. if you love what you do, you're talking about it left yeah. and right. And so yeah. that's what I try to pass on to my employees and and certainly what I uh, try to sort of inspire in my two daughters as well is that you've got to have that clear sense of who you are and find that mentor and do what you love 24/7 because you know I, I tell I tell people to to be curious like you know is and I think it comes out in your story about going into all of the the sort of mad men's offices uh, yeah. uh, and women's offices at uh, at DDB and just hanging out with them yeah I think we don't do enough of that uh, anymore and I think part of that is that there's these you know screens that we can always go to and get whatever's happening um, but sitting around and bullshitting, uh, you know what it was like. When so sitting, important. Sitting down with Cliff Freeman, you know. I mean, you're like yeah. with one of the greatest creatives in the history of advertising. And, and he's you, talking about uh, uh, you got to put half and half in your yeah, iced coffee, Tom. You, gotta, you know, it's, life is too short. Daga daga, you know, and yeah. and so that's all we're do, really doing is we're passing on experiences to each other, and so. Yeah. And so I look at I, – I hang out with a lot of millennials, of course. Mm-hmm. We have 200 of them at the agency. You can't get away from them anymore. Can't get away from them. Yeah. <laughs> but I believe that millennial that – it's the millennial mindset, and we all have that in us, right? Yeah. And so I'll hang out with them sometimes around a fire, you know, and we're drinking scotch or smoking a few cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And I'll just ask them. I'll say, okay, who wants the answer? And two <laughs> of them will say yes. And yeah. I go, okay, here's the answer. And they'll get close to me, and I'll just go, you know – just if you give 100% of your heart and soul, you'll never starve. And you think about that. You'll yeah. never starve. It means you'll never be homeless. Yeah. You'll never uh, do it for the money. Yeah. Because when, you, when you're all in, you know, just giving it your all, um, first of all, if you're working for a great mentor, they're going to know that you're all in, and they're going to want you around them at all times. Yeah. And I use that as a gauge for... You know, for the type of people that I hire, the type of clients that we work with, is they know that I'm all in yeah. all the time, and I want to make sure that uh, I'm working with clients and people who uh, share the same values because then you know you're not like you're not one piston out of six that's doing more work than the others. Yeah, you know. So tell me about you're at Cliff Freeman. Yeah, you're at the pinnacle. You're you're at that place. You're feeling like you're surrounded by the kind of people that you amazing know, and experience. Yeah. What? How did you go from there to like? Oh, I should go out and start this agency in in L.A. Um, I had been traveling uh, nonstop, uh, traveling around the world, working on the Fanta campaign that uh, we had over at Cliffs at the time, and we came up with this campaign that uh, it was a global campaign, and we were supposed to shoot like eight or nine spots for in different countries. And so um, I was traveling around. My wife at the time, who's Cuban, she was also in, uh, kind of in advertising. She used to work for Steve Bronstein. Uh, and Steve was the one who did all the great photography for uh, Absolute. And yeah, so yeah. She, at the time, she was pregnant. Great and tabletop photographer. The best, right? And at the time, uh, she was pregnant, and I was traveling the world, and uh, and I was missing that whole part of my life, you know, mm. because I couldn't even believe that I uh, was a, was going to be a dad. I mean, I never thought I was ever going to be a dad. And so um, it was 
kind of the greatest gift that the universe could have given me. And I was just thinking about, I don't want to be that guy that, you know, when you read my obituary, it says I have seven wives and 20 kids, and yeah. but I won all these awards. And, and so mm. I really wanted to be um, present for my daughter's first year. Mm-hmm. And so something happened. You know, I came back from shooting, and I was pretty wiped out. And it was just this boiling point where I just walked into Cliff's office and said, Cliff, I can't do this anymore. Wow. And he looked at me and goes, David, what are you thinking about? And I go, you know what? I just I don't know what I'm going to do, but I just know that there's something out there. And then I met, I met with um, Susan Kirschenbaum, who is a, a recruiter that yeah. you know, right? Yes. And the two of us met at the cupping room, and we're sitting there, and she goes, she goes, David, darling, let me tell you something. Oh, I think it's great. But she would just she would just sit down, and she she listed all these options for me, yeah. you know, to go run a shop or do this or do that, and I just didn't feel any of them. And she says, you know, I have a feeling something is going to present itself to you. And it was the the most, the wildest thing, you know. And a week later, I get a call from a good friend of mine who was um, the chief creative officer of DDB LA. And he basically said, uh, uh, yo, I got this uh, opportunity for you if you're interested. There's a small car company that wants to talk to you about starting your own agency. And at first I thought, oh, my God, small car company, Ferrari, Porsche, you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Maserati. And yeah. I was thinking, like, man, I could see myself driving a PCH, you yeah. know, with the, with the wind in my hair. Yes. Back when I had a little bit. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> and when he told me it was Kia, I, I thought to myself, <laughs> hmm, that's going to be a pretty big challenge. You know? Korean cars. Korean cars. And so and that I, comes full circle from your dad. Comes full circle from my dad. <laughs> and so when that happened, because growing up in my household, all my dad used to talk about was Korea and he used to sing these songs to us that we didn't know what the hell it meant. It wasn't until I went to a karaoke lounge in Seoul that I that they started playing these songs that my dad used to sing. Oh my god. And it just like it just went boom. Yeah. And and well my, my father's passed since then, but um I'm he sorry. used to send me these uh articles on Korean POWs, you know, because it was not an easy relationship the first couple of years. It was very challenging to say the least because challenger brands for the most part are very challenging, you Mm -hmm, know? mm -hmm. And so, but I always always embraced this as an opportunity, you know, Mm. because I looked at my life and my career as being this, this sort of stepping, you know, levels going up every level, learning as much as I can to, to help me grow. And Taking on this challenge of helping a unknown car brand, which for the most part was the butt of late night jokes for Jay Leno. I mean, yeah. he, one of my favorites was uh, what's the difference between a Kia and a golf ball? A golf ball can, can actually, you can actually drive a golf ball 300 yards. <laughs> I mean, there, there were those type of jokes. And and I really also believe that that, that no one had any respect for for Kia, you know, yeah. but but what they didn't understand is that deep down inside that brand is a core belief, a belief that you know actually comes from who they are and the meaning of Kia itself is rise up, right? And mm-hmm. when you go to that core, it is a it is a challenger spirit mm. that no matter what, it's all about just giving it your all, going all in, and never giving up. And that is very true to the immigrant. Uh, story, you know, it's a great immigrant story. Yeah, if you yeah. think about our our great grandparents, how they came over, yeah. that was Kia. Kia came over with two cars. Uh, they weren't the best, you know, mm-hmm. but you know what? They worked hard and they busted their ass. And then uh, 
today was a, a pr- pretty big milestone because I was the keynote speaker at the uh, New York Auto Show where wow. I talked about the rise of Kia. And it took took uh, took us 18 years to create this speech, literally. Yeah. But uh, it was a very proud moment for me to see, to be able to see after all of the change, all of the, you know, uh, naysayers and doubt that was thrown our way, to see Kia in this light right now is an amazing achievement. And so... Um, that's great. That's why I did it. And 18 years later, here I am. Yeah. But, um, you know, starting David and Goliath wasn't, I I had won, you know, my lion's share of awards at Cliffs. I mean, how could you not? You know, mm-hmm. you're just surrounded by s- such great opportunities there. And um, yeah. what happened was uh, I wanted to take some time off. I freelanced for a little bit. I changed diapers, didn't mm-hmm. want to miss out on that moment. And then... Uh, the David and Goliath opportunity came up. I wanted to create a agency that best reflected my own outlook on life, one that would enable me to live my brand, to be true to who I am, to take on challenges, whatever they may be, mm. and inspire others to do the same. And so we never looked at ourselves as an ad agency per se, but more of a mindset, because if you're going to call yourself David and Goliath, yeah. you definitely have to live up to it. Right. And you started that agency with a mindset of, Bravery, be bravery. brave. Yeah. Uh, tell me about that. Where where did that come from, and 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 how did you develop it? And it's always been inherent. It? It's always been inherent in in who we are. I mean, the notion of David and Goliath. It's no secret that David had to, you know, embrace these these really great uh, uh, sort of values, like being nimble, being resourceful, being instinctive, and ultimately being brave. Right. Mm-hmm. And brave to us isn't about swinging blindly into the fray. It's not about trying to shove work down a client's throat. It's not about, you know, jumping out of a plane or biting the head off a bat like Ozzy Osbourne did. It's simply about having the courage to be who you are. And because that takes a lot of work, you know, when you think about it. To be authentic takes a lot of work because there's so much peer pressure, so much doubt, so much guilt, so much trauma that we've experienced in life that uh, it makes it really hard for people to embrace their truth. Mm. And so brave is embrace who you are no matter what it is. If you are born with a disability, if you're from a poor family, if you have $5, embrace that, own it, own Mm. it in everything that you do. And, you know, it's um, because when you tell the truth, it's the easiest thing to remember. Yeah, right? Yeah. You don't have to make anything up, just like I'm doing right now. I'm yeah. able to embrace my story. Um, and if people like it, then that's great. People don't like it, I, I could care less. Right. You know, for yeah. me, I got to stay true to who I am because the people that that are inspired by it or are attracted to it are the people that I want to surround myself with. Yeah. And so Brave, uh, what we do is it's not just about saying you're David and Goliath or saying you're brave, it's about living it through everything that we do. So we have a series of initiatives that we created at the agency that uh, enables us to stay true to who we are. And the first one is uh, the Wall of Goliaths, which is uh, a hallway where we ask each and every person to put up their biggest fear to serve as a reminder of what they need to overcome. And then uh, we also um, created the Defiance Club, which basically identifies some of those those, uh, Goliaths and we'll give them money and time off to go defeat them, and then we'll document them on the defyyourgoliath.com. And then we also have um, the postcard, Do What You Fear, Watch It Disappears, on a set of doors that reminds me of the time I got that card, and yeah. and that fear is just an illusion. And then um, we have this thing called the 10 Brave Ways, which are basically 10 rules that we sort of live by. Uh, that are where, pretty, where can we read those? They're on our website. Okay. 
And and they're things that you're that you probably heard from your grandparents, like all in all the time, or uh, serve the brand, the rest will follow. No assholes, please. <laughs> yeah, that's a we good are one. stronger than me. And there are yeah. all these very simple principles that if you were to do that, apply that in business and in life, then mm-hmm. you would grow. You know, uh, at an incredible rate. And yeah. and then we have um, the today I'm brave is our nonprofit that we started. Um, a year and a half ago, and, and what happened was, it's pretty crazy, but uh, uh, I meditate, and in my meditation, uh, I saw this vision of this orphanage that I was supposed to adopt in Africa, and I thought, you know, whenever you meditate, do you, do you meditate? Uh, I try to. It's hard, right? It is hard. But when you meditate, what you're, what what meditation really is about is the absence of of stuff, mm-hmm. right? And it's, you're not bringing, think- I, I find that it's the action of bringing myself back to Who the you moment. Who really are. Uh, and the breath. Yeah, uh, I'm that. I'm that simple with it. Like I'm not. I haven't had it. any visions yet. But basically, uh, what but you're doing yeah. is you're letting go of Just all of that, that crap. That- but I do find that I more often find myself reminding myself as I'm walking around, having these like, oh, I got, I got to do that. I got to do that. The now that I noise. meditate, I will be like, oh, you're having yeah. crazy thoughts that yeah. you can't do anything about right now. You're walking to work. So totally. just come back to walking to work and look how beautiful the day is. It's beautiful. Uh, and always I go, oh, my God, I had no idea what was around me at this moment. Right? And it's like you just realize uh, that it's so important. It's, not, it's, it's noise. And, and if you think yeah. about it, what's happened to all of us is that, you know, we become so conditioned by all of these life experiences, Right. The and your phone vibrating your phone, in your pocket every five Donald seconds. Trump. I mean, everything. We yeah. become so like. We try not to mention him on yeah, this. Yeah, sorry, but podcast. we become so sort of <laughs> numbed by all of that to the point where we we don't even breathe. And and so when I started meditating like four years ago, I started to find this space in meditation where it was void of anything, fear, drama, or anything, noise, mm. and in that. In that moment, I saw this beautiful vision, and when I came out of it, I told my wife, who's Cuban, and the first thing she said was, why Africa? <laughs> and, right, right, yeah. Because you know, yeah. Cubans are yeah. like, you know, There's a whole island right yeah. off the coast. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. then um, I told a buddy of my work, and basically what he said is, you got to meet a friend of mine who runs a school in Sierra Leone. Mm. And so I met the friend, and we sat down with a few agency folks, and we we decided that what if we take the brave philosophy that we live on the inside of our agency and put it inside this school? And the school was up against Ebola. There was like 300 kids and teachers that were uh, either up against Ebola or starvation. Some of them were orphaned. Mm. And so Tiffany, who's the woman who runs the school, put it inside the school and they created an educational curriculum and a whole sort of movement around Today I'm Brave. And then when we got, uh, we got received some film of their transformation six mm. months later... It was absolutely just breathtaking. I mean, we were just crying because we could not believe the transformation of a very simple thought, you mm-hmm. know, that we that we gave them. And then we decided, like, you know, why not roll this out to the rest of the world? And and uh, since then, it's inspired tens of thousands of people all around the world. Clients are on board with it. Uh, we've got uh, quite a few celebrity influencers are on board with it. We just had our our first Today and Brave speaker series where we're raising, we're doing this mi- thing called microfunding where we're basically identifying 20 or 30 people uh, and we'll raise a certain amount of money for them and then we'll document what happens to them over the year. Mm. And so our last, uh, uh, our last 
uh, speaker series was a huge success. We were able to raise $30,000 for 62 orphans in Sierra Leone, and we're just going to document their, their entire lives. So to me, that uh, somebody asked me not too long ago, they said, so what, uh, why are you doing this? <laughs> you know, where is this going? Right. Like, what do you it, get out of this? Is this going to Cannes or anything yeah, yeah, like that? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and to be honest with you, we don't want anything, we don't want anything to do with the award shows because this is all about just being pure, being, you know, uh, heart-driven, and, and just making sure we stay as authentic as possible uh, in our quest to help inspire bravery throughout the world. And where can we see those? Uh... Todayimbrave.com. Todayimbrave.com. Yeah. In fact, uh, David Baldwin, uh, we shot a video of him not too long ago, so he's on there. And we've got a few uh, ad folks on there. But, yeah. uh, you know, we believe that bravery exists in everyone. And, mm. and for us, it's like... Uh, this isn't like an advertising thing. It's a world thing. And so we want to make sure that every single person out there has the opportunity to express their courage, uh, no matter what challenges they're going through. So you could check it out on Facebook and check it out on, on uh, online on our website. But there's some pretty amazing stories uh, uh, that we have there that, that, you know, because of that that vision, trusting that vision. Yeah enabled it to come to life. And so I got to go back to what is, what was that vision, you know? Yeah, why why Africa? To, why do you think that came into your head? I, I didn't even question it. Yeah. And it was the ability to just go with that vision. So if you go back and you think about what is that? What is that thing, you know? Yeah. Is it your gut? Is it your soul? Is it your source? Is it wh- whatever it is. Yeah. I just look at, by trusting it, look what it manifested. And so now our agency, we not only are doing and trying to inspire brands to be true, but we're also, uh, we have this nonprofit that we're running that's mm. just just kind of blowing up, you know, because yeah. it, it feels that it is, it's our truth, but but basically really it's all about unlocking everyone else's truth and giving yeah. them permission to believe that they are brave. Yeah. Because we're all, we're all brave, you th- know? This this whole series of conversations I'm having, I think is, is partly that, is like I'm trying to just I mean, it started with uh, our our client Ad House wanted to do something with yeah. them, but I I see it as a, a manifestation of our philosophy, which is you know similar to yours and, and ties, which is which is inspiring action. You know, yeah. it's not about making an ad that wins an award or makes you know somebody laugh. It's about doing something for a brand that will make their mission. Uh, concrete, and then get people to join in. You go um, back. You go back to why you're doing that. You know, you you always have to look at the motivation, right? Yeah, yeah. And and when you take out the you part, yeah. In that in that sort of motivation, yeah. Then it really becomes authentic because it's not you're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it for everyone else. Yeah, trying to trying to figure out what what it is that because I I feel like I stepped in 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 shit to yeah. to be honest it is that. Uh, I don't know, you know, similar to you, I come from New Jersey and I come from uh, working class yeah. parents and and the fact that I can do what I do day after day is such a gift and it's I feel amazing. like I want everybody out there to know no matter who you are, you can do this. Like it's not it's not hard and it's really fun. Um, so it, thank you for, for coming down and talking to us oh, about this. I love this. it, man. And, thank and, you for giving uh, me the opportunity. And uh, where where can people so davidandgoliath.com or dng dng.com dng those letters right yeah and or dng d dn is in nancy g.com yeah. and uh, you know the whole story is right there our culture our work um, and just so um, 
humbled to be able to be in a position to talk about an agency that we started 18 years ago. Yeah. So, thank you so great. much, man, for this thank platform. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everybody. So that was my chat with David Angelo. Great guy. He's doing great things. Uh, he started from the bottom, and now he's uh, changing lives every day over there at uh, David and Goliath in L.A. Uh, this has been The A-List, brought to you by Ad House Advertising School. I'm Tom Chrisman. Thank you for listening. Please rate us and subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, let me know what you want to hear. Text me, write me on Twitter. And if you want to be interviewed for an upcoming episode, please contact us through adhousenyc.com. Thanks a lot.